Well, I'm so glad you joined us again today. Uh, my hope is that your choice to gather with us will result in you having a great week. And as I preach, you might think of someone who you know isn't watching but would really enjoy what we're talking about. So why not text them and ask them to watch it on demand. And then when they're done, for you guys to talk about the sermon and all that we have that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. All right, so let's open the passage to where uh, Pastor uh, Becky left off. Uh, she started around verse 5, where she was talking about the two approaches believers can take in daily life. We can battle temptation on our own, or we can work smarter, allowing the Holy Spirit to empower us to fight those base urges, helping us make better choices. In verse 5, Paul wrote, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So, following after Christ starts in our minds, with the Holy Spirit changing our mindset, which then results in our behavior changing as we invite God into our daily lives. In those old BC days, we used to just swim downstream with everyone else. But now we have the desire and the strength to turn, going against the flow, refusing to be governed by what our flesh desires, focusing instead on the life that God has for us. It's not easy, but it's possible winning this battle of flesh versus spirit. Uh, and it helps when we remind ourselves of what the old self, the flesh, desires. Self-gratification. Self-exaltation. Selfish living. Uh, the flesh desires power, promoting any system or practice that keeps my power in place, even at someone else's expense. The Spirit is there to help us identify these practices and see how wrong they can be, whether they are personal or systemic to our culture. The Spirit helps give us the strength to, to push back and to repair the fabric of our communities. And how exactly does the Spirit empower us? Well, the answer to that question is found in the word Paul chose for the Holy Spirit using the Greek word pneuma, which means breath or wind. Now, this is the same prefix still found in English words like pneumonia and pneumatic. Anyone who works 40 hours a week repairing things or building things knows the value of a compressor and some pneumatic tools. Those noisy drills and hammers connected to pressurized air that drive the tools, making the work much easier. Well, in the same way, we invite the Holy Spirit to be the irresistible force, the compressor behind the hard work of battling temptation. And this is a great thing because as Paul tells the Romans uh, in verse 7, uh, the mind governed by the flesh doesn't submit to God's plan nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. I mean, we may want to clean up our act. We may want to change our behavior. But our minds have been governed by sin for much too long. And we should never underestimate sin's hold on us or overestimate our own ability to overcome temptation. The battle between spirit and flesh is an ancient and supernatural battle 
pitting us against extremely powerful forces that literally want to destroy us. Now, one thing that the Bible is clear about is that you and I don't have the, the ability to ever become who we want to be now that we have chosen Christ. We just don't have the strength or the stamina to break those old chains of addictive self-gratification and prideful thinking. Without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't even know where to start to create a better life for ourselves or a better society for our neighbors. A community that treats everyone with respect and love. But the church must keep pressing, mainly because the alternative is bleak. I mean, look at verse 13 where Paul writes, if we live according to the flesh, we die in our sins. But if we live by the Spirit, we live a new life. And as Paul wrote in verse 10, if Christ is in us, the Spirit gives us new life. Amen. Amen. Who wants a new life? Who's tired of living for self, of obeying every sinful urge? Who's ready to resist the power that sin has over us? Raise your hand if you want the new life that the Holy Spirit can give you, the abundant life Jesus promised. If that's you, raise your hand and say, Amen. That's great. You get a new life. And you get a new life. And you get a new life. A life filled with good daily decisions. A changed mindset that leads to better thoughts that drive healthier choices prompted by and empowered by the Holy Spirit, a life where you act like Christ would act among your neighbors. And it starts each morning as the day is beginning and God's mercies are new. Yesterday is behind us. We start each day with a conversation with God, asking for his mindset to permeate our thoughts and his strength to drive our actions. Then we live that one day we, we, we are present in every moment, aware of God's empowering presence in us and around us, available to us anytime we come against, up against those old ways of thinking, those selfish, prideful, angry, lustful thoughts and behaviors. And whenever we're tempted, whenever we feel weak, we remind ourselves of what Paul wrote to the believers in Philippi, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hey, say that with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Say that like you believe it. One more time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Friends, that's a gospel truth. That we can live godly lives in God's strength. This statement can carry us through any tough day and any long, difficult season. No matter how long the trial, the power of God never falters. Anytime, day or night, we can cry out to God saying, Holy Spirit, I can't handle it. I, I feel like giving up. I feel like giving in. It's just too much. And then the Holy Spirit reminds us, no, you can do anything through Christ who strengthens you. This is what it's like to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. Like Paul wrote to the believers in Galatia, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. 
Cornerstone, we really can win those daily battles against the old sinful self by accessing the power of the Holy Spirit already dwelling in us. The Spirit Christ promised to send us when he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth who lives with you and will be in you. Remember, this is the same powerful spirit that was hovering over the waters at creation. Our God is a powerful God. Our God is an awesome God. You know, we used to sing that. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven. Sing with me. Come on. Heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Amen. All right, moving on to verse 14, where Paul writes, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, or children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's adopted children. Wow, this is amazing. According to Paul, when we came to faith in Jesus, when we made that decision to follow hard after him, we went from being slaves to sin, slaves to fear, to becoming God's own adopted children. That's crazy. Freed slaves, adopted into the best family ever. And these are two images very familiar to the first century uh, Roman, slavery and adoption. I mean, let's look at first at slavery, where the city of Rome functioned on the backs of one million owned human beings. This so-called great city in history could not have functioned even one day without its own citizens personally owning a million other human beings, a million oppressed people that God dearly loved. Some of these slaves were captured as spoils of war, arriving in Rome on slave ships to be given as gifts to the well-connected upper classes. Or they were purchased in the slave market. Or maybe they were working off a debt. Some, some, some slaves chose that life because they were tutors or business managers or farmers. And signing that contract with a wealthy benefactor provided them a roof over their head. But it was still slavery. Paul uses this metaphor frequently in his New Testament letters to talk about the human condition in sin. Here in the letter to the Romans, he says that we were, we were all slaves to fear. Fear was our master. Isn't that the truth? That we allow our fears to own us. You know, fear has always made slaves of human beings. And fear is the number one emotional byproduct of COVID-19. Many of us who were doing just fine in February are now way too afraid. Think about all the things you worried about just in the past seven days. You or someone you love might get the coronavirus. Or this forced hibernation might drive you back into depression. Or it already has. And you're afraid you can't recover this time. Maybe you're worried about your job. Uh, for those of you leading a company, maybe you're worried about the company. You don't know how much longer you can make payroll. 
or you may have to lay off more people. You may have to shut the whole thing down. For parents whose children haven't exactly embraced, embraced distance learning, you're afraid for them. Or maybe you're afraid for yourself as uh, September isn't even over and you don't know how you're going to manage all these screens Monday through Friday in your household. Or when it comes to politics, uh, social media is pushing all our fear buttons these days. Americans are suffering from an emotional pandemic of fear as well as a physical pandemic. Fear of what we know and what we do not know is driving it all. These fears can dominate not only your waking hours, but also invade our dreams. Is it just me? Are you having weird dreams uh, where you're trying to fix things, but you can't fix them? The situation just keeps getting worse. My dreams are crazy, and they have common threads. In most of my dreams, I'm trying to solve a problem, but the problem keeps getting more complicated. Most of my nightmares involve me trying to get a group of people to point A to point B. And some of them aren't exactly cooperating. Uh, we're either on a bus, we're on a train, we're on a boat, we're on an airplane, but everything's going wrong. A couple of nights ago, I dreamt I was running a summer camp, but the camp was on fire and everyone was jumping into this lake, but the lake was full of hungry sharks and I was yelling for them to get out of the lake. Plus, my teeth were falling out and I wasn't wearing any pants. I woke up exhausted, actually wondering if I should get some therapy. Hmm. So, we all need to grab what Paul is saying here with two hands and hang on when he writes in verse 15, we did not receive a spirit that makes us slaves to fear. We received the spirit of becoming God's adopted children. God wants to go from being a distant deity to being our dad, our Abba, Father. This is what Jesus cried out to in, in Gethsemane as he prayed, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I want right now, but what I know that you want. That's what I want is your will. There was something about what the Father wanted Jesus to do that moved the Son of God through that night to, to press through his own anguish, to gain control over his emotions, so powerful that the physical effect had him sweating blood. Ultimately, Jesus wanted what the Father wanted, but it was still a terrible price he was paying so that we could know and receive love. But perfect love drives out all fear, so when Jesus cries out, Abba, He's crying out to his father to drive out fear and get him to the cross next day so that after he suffered, we could enter into a father-child relationship with God. That's why Christ came, you know, to establish a broken relationship between us and our Heavenly Father. Now, last week, Pastor Becky shared with us how much she loves the Holy Spirit. That living according to the Spirit is, is living out a relationship day by day. The Christian journey is, is, is not something we achieve through ritual or routine, but through a relationship with our Heavenly Father. You know, I relate to this. Brenda and I raised three boys, and the goal was to help them become healthy, thriving adults. But that goal wasn't achieved through a parent's checklist or a simple form, formula for parenting. No, it was trial and error. Each child was different. 
So we developed a different relational style with each one, guiding them, coaching them, correcting them, encouraging them, leading them, loving them. It was and still is all about relationship between us and our kids. You know, we Christians often talk about receiving Christ. I wonder if we talk enough about receiving uh, God as our parent, uh, our father, our dad. Now, this was an absolutely crazy and foreign thought to the first century reader. The Romans and the Greeks would never have referred to the gods as their parents. And a Jewish person would never have addressed God so casually as to call him Abba, which means daddy. I mean, I don't think we have a clue how scandalous the Lord's Prayer was when Jesus introduced it, opening with our Father, our Abba, our Heavenly Dad. Jesus taught them a prayer unlike any prayer that had ever been prayed, encouraging us to join a family with God as our Abba. In the prayer, Christ was challenging His generation and the generations to come not to approach God as if He is scary or distant. No, He's, he's a Father. He's a, a good father, and he wants to be in a close relationship with us. Now, I didn't even begin to grasp this until Andrew was born back in 1983. But then on that day, as I held him in my arms, I knew instantly what the love of a father felt like. I knew I would do anything for him. There was nothing of mine that would not be his. Soon I began to understand that what I felt for Andrew, my Heavenly Father felt for me. So I have learned to call him Dad. It's informal and intimate, but it still shows tremendous respect. You know, I never feel disrespected when one of my sons or wives calls me Dad. Any dad could tell you how strange it would be for him if his daughter came running to him saying, Father, oh dearest Father, uh, this isn't Downton Abbey, people. Uh, we call him Dad. Jesus told us uh, that the Creator God wants to be called Abba. He insists that our prayers be intimate and personal. As parents, we know that when our children approach us with appropriate, respectful intimacy, we will move heaven and earth to meet their needs. And we're encouraged by Paul uh, not only to refer to God as our Father, but to cry out to Him especially when we're afraid. You know, I was reminded of this last week when we had our grandsons, Jonathan and David, uh, over to spend the night so that their parents could have a break. It was about 1 a.m. when Johnny cried out in fear. Dada, he said. Dada. He had woken up and didn't know where he was. And his cries woke us, and soon he was in Brenda's arms being comforted. We didn't mind at all that he cried out to us. We were glad to be able to be there for him. In the same way, we should cry out in the darkness to our Dada, our Abba. There's a lot more to be afraid of this year, but we don't have to fight our fears alone. Our Dad is right there, and he loves to be our Abba in those fearful moments. Some of us, we find addressing God in this way, feel, it feels great. We warm to it immediately. But for Jesus' students, it was a huge adjustment. They had been taught to address Israel's God with a distant reverence. Well, just a few miles east of Jerusalem, out in the barren wilderness, were the respected Essenes. 
these religious men living austere desert lives while handwriting copies of sacred scripture. These scribes thought God's name was so holy that they would never copy his name down without first washing their hands. Even today, certain Jewish groups, out of reverence, never speak or write God's full name because they think it just too holy. But as wonderful as it is to revere him, until we see God as our dad, there's just too much distance between us and him. Jesus came to bridge that divide. Call him dad, Jesus says. Now this carries huge implications, not only for those of us who have been fortunate enough to have good earthly fathers, but also for those who didn't. Some of you have felt ripped off by the abusive or absent dad you ended up with. You suffered under an extremely flawed earthly father. So you might be prone to ask Jesus, is there some other way I could address God? The title dad just doesn't work for me. I don't want to think of God in the same way I remember my earthly father. But it's important for you, of all people, to press in on this. Because pushing yourself to call God dad will actually heal you from the hurt and disappointment that remains regarding your biological father. Letting your heavenly father redefine the concept of a parent for you will bring you to a place of healthy intimacy, a place of of, of trusting dependency that you and God will both enjoy. Well, let's keep moving uh, because it gets even better as Paul writes, If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. In this holy adoption process, God gives us the full benefits offered daughters and sons as he adopts us into his own family. There's a powerful image, the image of adoption. It becomes even more meaningful when we dig into the first century Roman practice of the head of of an estate. Adopting a person from outside the family to perpetuate the family name and inherit everything that the master has. This is how God has adopted us in his family. So if this wealthy man had no legal heir for his estate, he would then adopt someone to be his legal descendant. And when the adoption was finalized, several things were immediately true of the new child. First, all their debts were paid. Second, the adopted child was given a new name. Third, the child was set up to inherit the estate. And finally, the father was made liable for the actions of the adopted child. So when Paul uses the same word, adoption, to describe what God does for us, the Roman audience would naturally think about this new father-child relationship where our old sin debts are paid, we're given a new name, and set up to inherit everything of the father's. Roman history is full of adoption stories, even former slaves who became so beloved by their master that the master adopted them as a legal child. Paul says, this is what happens to us when we put faith in Christ. Where we were once slaves to sin, slaves to fear, we are now God's own children, given an eternal inheritance. One that the apostle Peter spoke of in 1 Peter chapter 1, In his great mercy, Peter says, the Father has given us new birth into a living hope and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for us. Ah, that's awesome. All that we have looked forward to. 
It's also possible that the inheritance Paul has in mind is even better than the one Peter writes about. Maybe Paul is saying that God himself is our inheritance. Like the Levites in the Old Testament who knew they had been left no land to inherit in Canaan, but the Lord himself was their portion. Can you imagine inheriting God? Going into the heavenlies knowing that everything that God is and has is also yours because you're, you're his adopted child. Uh, Asaph, Asaph writes about this in Psalm 73 when he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? This earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart today and my portion forever. Amen? Amen. Wow, this is great preaching. I'm loving it. Uh, okay, one more verse in Romans 8 before we worship again. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. So when we suffer physically, when we suffer mentally, when we suffer emotionally, uh, uh, we connect with Jesus in a unique way, a connection that only comes through suffering. And as we share in His suffering, we look forward to sharing in His glory. So, take heart today. God is still in charge. He's put the entire world on a timeout for reasons we're still trying to figure out. But we'll never figure it out if we keep resisting it. We need to lean into what's happening all around us and trust in God. Uh, so I would just say this, if, if you're suffering today, please contact us, uh, ask for prayer, or ask to meet with a counselor or a pastor, or ask for material resources. Let us know what we can do for you. You're in our family. We love you. We want to know if you're hurting today. All right, let's transition into worship by praying the prayer that Jesus taught us when he said, Our Father, pray it with me, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our, our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.